I started playing EVE about a year and a half ago because it's pretty much the most most in-depth game that I can get my hands on. And since then, I've been killing people and stealing things for about a year and a half now. I am Bobby Todd, and I am the Gamerati. Gamerati.com. It's good to be a gamer. The show is on, and the goal is to do little to no editing at all on this show. So everybody's listening okay. to us, and this is that was our first words of a new, brand new podcast. Everybody is, is stunned now, right? Yay! <laughs> Hello! Uh, so, Hello. so this is the as-of-yet unnamed DM-focused show. <laughs> on the Tome Show uh, uh, yeah. here. You're going to tighten that up in editing, right? Uh, no. I'm not, I, I, I think I just said I'm not editing. Oh, no. We are DMs. We will talk about that. So that's uh, that's Randall over there. Randall, why don't you introduce yourself? Say hi. Hey, Randall Walker, also known as Dead Orcs on Twitter, formerly of the Initiative or What blog, but now co-manager of This Is My Game. And I've been um, playing um, role-playing games, primarily Dungeons and Dragons, for over thirty years. Wow! Wow, you're, you're old. old. <laughs> I am old. I am an old man. <laughs> well, we won't hold that against you yet. Thanks, I appreciate that. That, that comes later. I got in the kids show. to do. I got kids to do that. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, and also uh, a regular member of this show is uh, Mike Shea. This is the first show, right? So regular members, anybody that's been on today? <laughs> no, the idea is that it's going to be the three of us in every episode, but I was going to get to that oh. later. Thanks for spoiling it. No, oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, Mike Shea from SlyFlourish.com and on Twitter at SlyFlourish. So that's and, Mike. Uh, yeah, what? so I've, I've been playing for, I think, like 25 years um, on and off, but mostly over the past five years or so, at the tail end of 3.5 and all throughout 4th edition, I've had a weekly game going. Very good. And I am uh, Jeff Greiner, who, uh, you know, some people know me from the, the Tome Show. That's uh, since it's on this feed. I s- presume a similar audience is listening, um, as well as a bunch of other stuff. Um, I've been playing D&D since I was 8. What am, how old am I now? 32. So that's what, 24 years? Wow. Math. So yeah, twenty four years I've been pl- uh, I've been playing role playing games. I started with D and D. I've always come back to D and D, although I've played a lot of different things. Uh, started with second edition AD and D. Was reinvigorated up uh, in college, and then uh, as I was in college, third edition came out. Then of course three point five, uh, and then fourth edition. And so there's me. So I guess we should talk about what the show is. The, the, the as-of-yet-unnamed DM show. So on a side note, before we talk about what the show is, if anybody, as you're listening to what the show is, gets a fit of inspiration and has an idea for a name, go ahead and send that on over to the show at gmail.com. Uh, we would love to make you famous by picking your name. Mm. That's right. It's a contest. <laughs> Fill it out. That's send right. it in. <clears throat> Very good. Yeah. So we're going to do this show once a month. 
Um, in a, it's going to come out on the regular Tome Show feed, but it's going to be sort of a show within a show, sort of like how uh, Mark Meredith does the Dice Monkey or radio show. Um, it's going to be coming out on our feed. It's going to be a Tome Show production, but it's going to be uh, different than a normal Tome Show sort of thing. Uh, it's basically going to be three DMs helping each other get ready for our own games. And those three D- DMs are, are us, right? Randall, Mike, and, and myself. Yep, that's it. Uh, and maybe as people listen, they'll get some inspiration or some ideas about how we prep for our games and how we design things and, and all that stuff along the way and maybe come up with some story ideas or whatever. So that's 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 the concept. Um, but really, it's all about me. That's what the show is. Show is. It's all about me. <laughs> Wait a minute. It's all about me. <laughs> well, I, the concept for the show came out of this. In the past, when we've done advice episodes, and I've used my own game as examples and got guests to help me design things for my own game, my game is better. Hmm. So, so I thought, hey, what if we could do that on a regular basis? And thus, the show was born. Genius. It's you guys coming on and making my game awesome. It is pure genius. And, you know, we'll help you and out. And you've come to the right guys. <laughs> yep. we, so but, there you go. But we do have three very different... Um, DMs with three very different types of groups that we're working with and three very different uh, DM styles and and game styles and what have you. So uh, today's episode is going to be just sort of our introduction. We're going to talk about each of our campaigns, our game groups, you know, what style of play we use, what maybe house rules we use, what's the story of our game, you know, all that kind of stuff, just so we can get to know each other and each other's games a little bit uh, before we get into the first episode next month or the first normal episode next month where we uh, actually help each other out with stuff. So Exactly. I'm, I've been talking too much, um, so I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to Mike to f- be the first one to introduce us to your campaign. And as Randall and I have any questions to or clarifications we want to have him make, uh, we'll jump in. Pretty good. Um, how how long do you want me to talk? <laughs> <laughs> you, you better give me a hard limit. Um, let, should we say a maximum of 15 minutes? Okay, great. Sounds good. Okay. Yeah, I can do that. Um, so I've had a, a, a couple of different campaigns. I've had one primary group where members have kind of come in and out over the past five years. Um, I often get blamed when people hear about my complaints or read about my games and stuff like that. I get I get a lot of people who believe that my whole group is nothing but hardcore power gamers, um, and that's not true. I have a pretty good mix of people who like story, people who are um, into you know, into the, they they enjoy the game at the table, but they aren't real power gamers. They're they're pretty happy with whatever kind of character they have in front of them. And then I have a couple people who certainly know how to, you know, they'll spend a significant amount of time going through the character builder and finding optimal optimal choices. Um, my biggest campaign was my level one to thirty Orcus Must Die campaign, known as the Shield Bashers. Uh, it has an obsidian portal site, um, and it's very fond. I have, I'm very fond of it. It was very, you know, I, I consider it my my life's work in DMing. It was a huge, a huge undertaking, and 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 I'm proud of myself and proud of my whole group for going through the entire thing from one to thirty, playing from Keep of the Shadowfell all the way through the nine module, you know, the n- original nine modules that came out for fourth, fourth edition, through all heavily modified. Uh, through Prince of Undeath, where they battled Orcus on the throne of the Raven Queen and uh, uh, and defeated him. Uh, and the funny thing is we enjoyed it so much and we enjoyed the epic tier so much and those characters so much that I've continually gone back to them. So even though they hit level 30, even though they had killed Orcus, an, an empowered version of Orcus, a level 35 
God of Death version of Orcus. Um, that was kind of the beginning of a new tier. So there's almost a post post epic tier that we've been going through, which is just level thirty. But they, you know, Loth is a huge um, a huge player in that, and then we've had a lot of fun. You know, I've had a lot of fun with Loth as both a master villain and as a quest giving NPC to the party. Um, and uh, so we find ourselves, even though we stopped that campaign, I did a I did a I think like a six level Dark Sun campaign in between there. And then now I've been doing a Gloomrot campaign. We still find ourselves going back and doing, you know, a night or two where we return to the Shield Bashers. You know, we go to their headquarters, which is in this in Sigil. They have a bar that they own in Sigil. And then the basement of the bar is a portal that takes them to the hollowed out center of an earth moat that's floating somewhere in the elemental chaos and nobody has any idea where it is. They don't even know really where it is. And uh, inside there are hot tubs and comfortable beds and, <laughs> you know, a pool table and all the things that they want. Because that's what I think of when I think about the, the elemental chaos as hot tubs. Yeah, well, the, the cool bit, right, is it's, it's inside of this, it's this big chamber that's inside this, this hollowed out rock. But they can actually make the rock transparent so that they can, you know, sit in their hot tubs and stare out over the giant million mile swirling storms of the elemental chaos, you know, while they're enjoying a fine frosty beverage after, you know, traveling through the demon web. Um, so the, the group seems to like it and I like it. I like it a lot. You know, I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about Epic tier stuff and, and, you know, a lot of my, a lot of my stuff on the web is about Epic tier. I wrote a book on Epic tier. Um, lately I've been doing a bunch of articles for Wizards of the Coast on Epic tier. So we keep going back and playing more Epic tier stuff. And a lot of people that I've talked to, you know, we're kind of done with Epic Tier. They were either done with Epic Tier before they even really got there. Or when they were there, they were like, ah, I just don't have enough story. You know, Dave Chalker, when he and I talked about Epic Tier, um, said that, you know, it's just too hard to get a story to fill out a full 10 levels. And I feel like, well, I've not only had enough story to fill out the 10 levels, I had enough story to fill out more than that. And mm-hmm. we keep going. So, um, so that's been pretty good. Well, I think that'll be helpful helpful to me as well because I'm my campaign is in the epic tier. Yeah, um, and it's it's and, I mean, and it'll be it'll be useful to me to, to bounce ideas off of off sure. of people to, to to get enough story to sure, to go sure. all ten levels. Yeah, and Dave has really good suggestions for you know kind of the big lessons of of running epic tier, and I of course have lots of thoughts about it, and mm-hmm. you, you can buy well, you're, those. You're you're the epic um, tier guy. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's what you. That's, right. that, that's pretty much all you do, right? No, well, no. I mean, yeah, that's the whole. That's the problem, right? I, I, I spent so much time in Epic here, and then I write an article that says, "Really, if you want to play D anD D Fourth Edition, you should stick to one to ten, and everybody flips out." So, um, you know, I don't know. But uh, uh, one thing I've done, and, and you know, Chatty DM Phil Menard wrote um, an, an article or a series of articles on critical hits a, a couple years back about mini campaigns, kind of running campaigns as a mini series rather than as, as an ongoing series. Mm-hmm. You know that sticking to an 8 to 12 adventure mini campaign. And um, given the way that Wizards of the Coast was publishing books and given my own interest in those books, I decided that that was the only way I'd really be able to keep up with the worlds that were coming out. So when Dark Sun came out, I said, well, I want to run Dark Sun. I certainly don't want to run another 1 to 30 campaign. So I'm going to run a smaller campaign that has a nice fixed and focused story arc. And, you know, the story arc in that one was... um, you know, in the, in the Dark Sun campaign source book, Kallik was recently killed. So um, the theme of the campaign was Kallik's, one of Kallik's prime Templars is trying to resurrect him. And, you know, the party needs to stop him from resurrecting Kallik. So it has a nice 
clear arc to the story. I know exactly where it's going. I know exactly what the whole point of it is. And I left it pretty open about how he was doing that. And, you know, I mean, he started off by going after one thing and that wasn't working because the party kept screwing up his plan. So he went for another thing and the party, you know, got to chase him all over the desert. And I think we did that for about, I think we did ended up going longer than I wanted. We went for like 12 to 16 sessions for that one. Maybe not full 16 sessions. Um, but we got a good length through and people really got, you know, they felt like it was dark sun and they, you know, we all had a good time. Uh, it went from level four to level 11, I think and ended right at Paragon. Right on. Um, you know, you know, it's interesting, and I know this is not supposed to be the episode where we, you know, give advice or ideas or mm-hmm. inspiration or whatever. But mm-hmm. um, we're doing a little mini Dark Sun campaign. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, I, as a DM, had real life stuff to deal with, um, and so mm-hmm. I took a I took a, a brief hi- hiatus, and one of my other players took over as a DM, doing a little mini Dark Sun campaign, but took. A, a different approach to it rather than saying we're going to cap it, you know, within this many sessions and these levels. Right. It, it was, we're going to go one to 30, but every other session, you're just going to level up five levels. So we get, yes. to, so we right. get, so we get to, wow. expe- we get to experience the entire breadth of the yeah. characters, yeah. uh, in a, an abbreviated time. Huh. Did that work? Uh, well, we're 26th level next weekend. Really? So, you, uh, yeah, it's, I would it's figure, well. I would figure you'd, you'd, you know, you'd kind of lose track of your character all the time because you get all, you know, you have to rebuild them almost. You know, every five levels is, is enough that, you know, you're adding a couple of powers and maybe like a feat not, and maybe a feat. You know, it's not too crazy. That's cool. Yeah. And so that's that's another way of, of, yeah, doing, yeah. of doing something similar. Yeah, and, no, and, and, you know, it, a lot of times. A lot of times it, it's like, you know, and, you know, a year goes by and you guys did some adventuring and now back to, you know, then you run into this thing that has to do with the main right. storyline. And so right. it's, it's working pretty well. Yeah, actually, I did that in the beginning of Dark Sun. My my, my first, you know, the, the name of the Dark Sun campaign was Children of Blood because you got to have a real hardcore name like that mm-hmm. if it's going to run in Dark Sun. And um, I had this great idea, of, what I thought was a great idea, for the, for the beginning of the campaign was them at level one starting off in the arena. And the very first thing that would happen before any explanation of what the campaign's about or anything about setting was... I was going to randomly pick a character and I was going to have him get critically hit in the face by the biggest creature that's in the arena. And, you know, I told people like make two characters, bring both characters, don't fall in love with either of them and pick which one you're going to start with. And we're going to go from there. And they had no idea what the campaign was about or where it's going to head. And yeah, I rolled randomly, picked a guy, hit him with like 52 damage. He was a wizard. He went right down (laughs) and he's like, what the hell He's like, I spent like, two hours making this guy. And I'm like, I told you not to fall in love with him. Like, I'm not in love with him, but I'd like to see him do something. So, he was real bad, but he ended up surviving. He was only down. He wasn't dead. And they brought him back. Um, but that started at level one. And that was in the arena when Kallak was killed. So they got to see the, the, the you know, the, the, the campaign started with the death of Kallak and then jumped two years ahead. And at that point they were level four. So they increased three levels you know, as part of the story. And then at that point, they, um, um, at that point, it started from four to 11. That's funny. Our, our, our dark sun game also started with the death of Calic or our, although actually that was, yeah, the, a, that, that was the end of our first arc. Yeah. Was, yeah. It's a good, it's a good place. And the book certainly focuses on that event. You know, the, the, the campaign guide really kind of mm-hmm. picks that as a focal point for the whole series for the whole uh, campaign world the uh, the other thing i did in that campaign which worked pretty well it had it had some problems but it also had some interesting you know interesting benefits was i created a justice league of america style campaign where the players had two different 
main characters, and they could switch between them whenever they wanted. So the Children of Blood wasn't a group of six people or five people. It was a group of, like, 18 people. Mm-hmm. And they could kind of pick their, you know, they had, like, a character selection at the beginning of the night where they'd say, I'm going to play with this guy tonight. And it worked really well because it gave people options to try different character classes and, and they had a lot of freedom to do stuff. Treasure didn't matter because you had the um, alternate advancement rules. Um, the only problem was there wasn't, there was hardly any interpersonal story between the characters. You know, like nobody cared. And nobody paid any attention to who was playing who. It was just, we're, we are all the children of blood and there's a storyline involving the whole group. But there wasn't like, you know, this character feels a certain way and this character feels a certain way. They had background stories, but it, I, I never really incorporated them because I never even knew who they were going to choose on, on week to week. Um, so I did a modified, I have four minutes left. Um, <laughs> I did a modified version of that same thing for my Gloomrock campaign, which I'm still running now um, when I'm not jumping back to the Shield Basher campaign. And uh, Gloomrot, yeah, I wanted to do something that was you know, high end of heroic and uh, up through probably the middle of Paragon set in the Shadowfell. I wanted to use the Heroes of Shadow book. Uh, I wanted to use the Gloomrot, uh, Shadowfell, Gloomrot, and Beyond box set. And I wanted to do it a little bit more sandboxy. I wanted to say, here's a city and there's a bunch of personalities in the city and there's a bunch of plot lines going on, but I am not running a story that the players are deciding where they go and what's going on. And I have a little bit of a story seed thrown in the beginning, but even I didn't know what it really meant. And the, the story seed was they all wake up in the bottom of a mass grave that had just been dug up and nobody, they were, they had been dead for, you know, I think 50 years and nobody knew why they were still alive. Like they don't know the people that had put them there. Don't know. You know nobody can figure out why they've come back, but so for some reason they've come back. And, um, you know, whether that's some kind of destiny that they're brought back from or whether it's just random happenstance, um, you know, it's, it's still not known. They've been, we've been doing it for about eight or nine sessions. And, uh, what I did for that one is something called, I think I forget what I called it, shadow binding or something where they could actually change their class as a daily. So instead of, um, they still had one character with one race, but that race could change to a whole different build on their on their at the choice of the player so you might have a um death priest uh you know a dark elf death priest who can also change into a dark elf um uh what's the uh warlock build in essentials um hexblade Hexblade. yeah so that way she could be either a cleric you know a leader or a striker and she could choose you know at any given time which one she wanted to be and that way it added the character continuity between the characters that were you know, like these guys, I was heavy story based. I used a modified version of fiasco to kind of generate backgrounds for them and generate interconnections. I don't know if you guys have played fiasco at all. I know, uh, I know enough about it to know what you mean though. Yeah. So you, you, you kind of randomly build these relationships between the characters. So I did a whole series of fiasco, like interrelationships between, between the characters and between the characters in different factions in Gloomrod, And that kind of built the story out. So the story has been building dynamically as we've been going and it's been a great exercise for me. Um, it's hard because you, I'm not, I'm kind of a controlling guy, and it's hard for me to let go and kind of let the story go to whatever direction it wants to go. And then there was a point where I kind of had a panic attack and realized that <laughs> I had no idea where this is going to end. And the whole point was to have a mini adventure. So I said, okay, you know, what do you guys want to be the end of this? And they said, we want that. You know, we want this particular event. I guess we're going to have full spoilers in this. 
Is that okay? That's fine by me. Like Gloomrot, because you know some of the spoilers are Gloomrot things. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, you know, Prince Roland is the main guy in Gloomrot, and in, in my version of it, he's kind of a corrupt dude, and he's been around for far too long. And he was responsible for the original murders of the player characters through his agents. Um, and the party said, "Yeah, we we want to take him down, either dethroning him or killing him." And I said, "Okay, that's your that's your plot." So now I have. Kind of going back to the dark you, side. You have, an end, you have an end goal. I have an end goal. And now I'm like, okay, so now I can kind of build. And I give them lots of options. Like, do you want to do it this way? Do you want to do it that way? Which direction do you want to head? Um, and they're, they've been pretty good at picking them. And, and now I've got kind of four or five adventures planned. And when they complete those four or five, they'll be ready to, to face them. And then they'll face them. And that will be the end of that campaign, one way or the other. And that's exactly. That is exactly 15 minutes. Wow, that was amazing. Good job. I applaud you. <laughs> uh, and, I, and I picked 15 thinking that that way it would give us a little bit of time if we had questions to ask you about your group or your campaign or whatever. So does that mean I have more time? That means you have time. You have, <laughs> we'll give you a few minutes to answer our questions, not to ramble. Okay. Just stay on, on our questions. Yep. Um, now, you mentioned that you have a pretty diverse group. In ter- you know, the yeah. pe- People get the impression that you have a group of, of power players, but that's not necessarily the case. Yeah. That said, would it be fair to say that you you spend a lot of your time fretting about the power players? Because that seems to be a lot of your, yeah, your, a lot of your focus. Fair, is, is, that's for, is, certainly a fair statement. Yeah, because it seems like those are the people that, that grab your attention because they, yeah. break, they, quote, break the game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and yeah. Okay. Yes, that's true. I mean, what, what it feels like to me is I have I want I want drama and to me a good a good battle is one there's a few things that I kind of want in a good D&D fight and one is I don't want it to take forever because I got stories to tell and if all we're doing is combat I can't really do much of a story in between um okay and the if but I also want a battle to be challenging I want you know not every battle but at least certain battles if you're fighting a big boss you shouldn't just pin him in the corner, daze him, you know, chain daze him for five rounds and laugh as he, you know, stumbles about stuck in your crazy zone, mm-hmm. um, which is what I find a lot of times, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, that's, wasn't nearly as bad in the other two campaigns as it was in the shield basher campaign. Sure. And that was because the other two campaigns were limited to, I had, I had a limit of character classes and races that they could choose from that, that focused mostly on newer stuff. Right on. Um, and I assume the, and I, maybe you said this and I didn't catch it, the, the Shadowfell campaign, the Gloomrock campaign is Paragon or, or Heroic? It started at High Heroic. It's okay. like, I think it started at level eight and then it went up through and it'll probably end at a level 14 or 15. Okay. And where are you at now then? Uh, I think they're like level 12. 12? Okay. They're going to start leveling pretty quick. Yeah, yeah. i just trying to get a, a sense of sort of where you're at. And, yeah. And, all that. yeah. Uh, and so it sounds like most of the time you're going to be doing the Gloomrot thing, but then every now and then you're going to jump to back to it's, the shield it's about It's about 50-50. We're doing probably 50%, um, you know, 50% Gloomrot and then 50% going back to do shield basher stuff. Maybe, yeah. you know, maybe, you know, yeah. It's like two to two to three sessions a month on Gloomrot and then one to two sessions on shield basher stuff. Okay. Okay, Randall, you have any questions for him? No, not yet. I'll wait until we get into the um, to the next episode. Yeah, and when we when we start asking for specific feedback, but it sounds pretty. I mean, that's an extensive. 
That's a lot of campaign. One to thirty. And, <laughs> it's fun. And once you hear it. about where I'm at, you'll just be flabbergasted. But, um, yeah. Yeah. Now, now I, I'm also curious because I think you mentioned in our pre-show chit chat that one of the things you might want to talk about is house ruling. Uh, me, oh. Mike, is, are there specific oh, are there specific house rules that you it, use? At it's your table? not so much house rules; it's it's limits. Um, okay. mod, modularity. I'm going to write an article about this. I think about modularity in 4e, and that you can actually. One thing I really like about 4e, but it's not. I don't think a lot of people do it, and I think it's a shame. And also, the online tools don't support it that well. Is the ability to say, you know, if I want to run a Shadowfell campaign, I can pick like three source books or four source books, and those are the source books for the campaign. Mm-hmm. And that's all you can choose from. And what it gives you is the players have to go outside of their comfort zone in order when they're picking races and classes. And it gives the whole campaign a theme. So, like in Dark Sun, I said, you know, I mean, I love every, I don't think it's a surprise. I love the Essentials books. And my group did not like them at all when it first came out. And most of them have come around. Mm-hmm. Um, most of them kind of see the difference in speed of battle and they see the balance. And they, they're also, you know, we all kind of have our designer hats on. I mean, even my players, we spend a lot of time talking about the, the design of this stuff. So they can, I'll say to them, like, does that sound balanced to you? And they're like, no, this is totally broke. <laughs> they're not they don't hide it and they're like yeah that's just yeah okay. yeah i shouldn't be able to do that right on um so i you know doing it for both gloomrod and shadow and, and dark sun you know i said like you can get player's handbook three because it had a lot of psionic classes so i think it was player's handbook three uh and the two essentials books were the primary sources for dark sun and then for gloomrod it was the the two essentials books and heroes of shadow were the were the source books for that sure and it worked really well. Although, although you could probably pretty easily, in, I mean, I know the the online tools don't support it um, that well, but but you could say instead of limiting it to source books, say these are the the classes and races that are available. Yeah, the, the problem it. the problem with the online stuff is as soon as you get into feats and powers, you either can only play essential stuff by by selecting the essentials builds, uh-huh. or you get everything and you have to hand pick. You have to go through like. I think oh, it's right, like right. 9,000 9, powers or, you know, because, 6,000 because, because Because you're, you're offering essentials and a few other things. And a couple other things, right. yeah. And, and it's even, even if you were going to do essentials only, the problem is you can't do other gear. So if you ever decide to give them gear better than what you would get in essentials or stuff outside oh, of that, yeah, yeah. you can't do it in essentials. So what I would love is in a character builder's ability to say, you know, I want to generate a character, but I'm only allowed these six sources. These books or whatever, yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, the, the solution to that is they build their characters with a piece of paper. They don't have to do all the math and stuff, but they can go through the books and pick their stuff from the books and then go into the system and just search for the stuff that they want. And, sure. it, and they can add it right in. But sure. that's that's the biggest complaint that I've been getting from players about it is that... And, and they, you know, they come to the table with characters that have stuff that wasn't allowed. And they're like, what do you mean? I thought, you know, I thought that was okay. And they're like, no, it's not okay. Oh, God, you know, I didn't realize that was, you know... Right. I didn't realize I came from the other book. I thought I came from the right one. All right. Well, that's 20, 20 minutes on Mike. <laughs> hey, you told me I can answer your question. I, I, absolutely. Absolutely. Time to talk Randall. All right. Well, um, my campaign has probably been it, – it's sort of fractured because the Dead Orc Society has been around since 2000 when um, – 3.0 came, first came out, hmm. and I had a group of regular players, and we used to meet about every couple of weeks, and we're, was into that campaign for about five years, and um, then got all distracted by WoW, <laughs> and that like took three years out of everyone's lives, and we sort of stopped playing, and then the Dead Orc Society reformed back in 2008, 
And it's the same campaign setting, but I advanced it a thousand years. Sort of to accommodate the points of light thing and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And um, the overall general arc is, um, it's, uh, it's not sandboxy. There's a definite story arc. Um, but the general idea is that there were originally no gods, and there was sort of like sort of like one, you know, a Gaia type force. Um, uh, if you want to consider it like the force, you could do that. It could be manipulated for good or evil, but it was sort of like the sun life energy of everything that was alive on the planet. So, a whole Gaia concept. But anyway, um, it got fractured by this alien entity of some kind, uh, which shall remain nameless because I don't have a name for it yet. And um, and as a result. Certain um, there were certain uh, individuals on the planet at the time who were, if you could think of them as superheroes, but I mean they were more like paragons of a certain ideal. Like for example, Santa Claus existed on my planet. Not like Santa Claus as you think about now, but there was like a spirit of giving, if you will, and there was like Jack Frost and all of these people that are are iconic in in our own uh, mythology and stuff. And they sort of like took up the mantles of the various gods that are now in 4E because they had to protect, keep the whole planet from being destroyed by this entity. Well, as you can imagine, when these people absorb all this power, there was a lot of fighting and wars and things like that. And so that led to the thousand years of, you know, pretty bad stuff. And the Gaia itself is slowly beginning to heal and it wants to. It wants to heal itself. It wants to get together. So, and that's why the whole campaign is called Gaia's Calling. And so, these heroes are 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 being. They don't know yet exactly what's going on, um, but they get the feeling that there is some kind of purpose as to why they're doing the things that they're doing. Um, they are only in. Um, they're right on the cusp of uh, heroic and paragon. And one of the reasons it's taken so long, and we've been playing the campaign for about three years, is because we only play once a month, and it's only for about a four- to six-hour session. So uh, a lot of us are – we're all adults, um, and most of us are out of school, uh, some, uh, and, but they're all really busy. And so we meet on a Saturday, and so we don't have a lot of time to play. Um, as a result, they don't raise in levels very fast. And I also have a group of players that are very uh, – they play when they're there, but after the game's over, they don't do anything. <laughs> there is no – they're not really interested in – in fact, it's hard to even get them uh, – you guys got to level up, remember? <laughs> you know? And <laughs> oh, yeah. it's like I got to give them reminders. It's like, you guys, I need – you know. They need yeah. you to be prepared, and sometimes that's an eleventh hour thing where they're rushing to prepare. I don't know how many times I've printed off character sheets here at my laptop, like mm-hmm. before the mm-hmm. game starts. I did last so, night. Yeah, so you know, <laughs> we've all been there, I guess. But um, but they're very much at the moment players. I don't have people that are super involved in wanting to help build the world. I would be willing to, mm-hmm. but they just are not interested. Mm-hmm. And, um, now, now, and a- now the way you the way you talk about that uh, and and the way you talk about how long how long it's taken and how few little you've leveled, you talk about it like it's a problem. D- do you do you perceive that as a problem, or is or, are, or are you it, comfortable with that? 
it may be more of a problem for me okay. than it is my players. Um, I'm well, always, I'm well, under the this, assumption this, show, this show's all about us, so that's fine. Well, I know, and <laughs> and that is a problem. It's kind of a problem for me. I mean, the I mean, the one solution is well, get better players, but you know, that's not yeah, always an option. Any. You know, and so it's just one of those things. But um, I, I suppose it might be helpful if if people have, and I've tried different tricks to try to get them engaged. Um, and it's 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 challenging to do, but uh, particularly when there's all these other kinds of distractions that are you know that are wanting to uh, dis- uh, take them away. Sure. But um, where, where does it become a problem for you? I it would like to, I'd like to have more interaction. Mm-hmm. I would like I would love to, for my players to say, "Wow, it'd be really cool if we did this," and and then I would be more likely to. Um, break out of my shell, if you will. Um, but it's just... And, and, and shell's not maybe the right word. But I have you know, a, pretty, a pretty solid story arc. But I'm kind of locked into it, because no one's told me otherwise. Mm-hmm. And so it's... You know, are, are you guys okay with this? <laughs> and they seem to be. No one is fired out. Although, the, I mean... But then, the way I run my campaigns is that even though I have this overarching story arc idea... I steal stuff to fill in. Mm-hmm. So I use modules and things like that to fill in the road to whatever the, f- the finality is going to be. And it's a pretty long road. I mean, like I said, they're only at, at – they're like at ninth level at this point. So, you know, um, it's been quite – but they've gone through, you know, uh, um, Shadowfell Keep and they've gone through uh, Thunderspire Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. But I've recently taken them off of a module path. And put them on a. Um, it's not exactly a side journey because it does fit into the storyline. But I'm taking them into the world of um, of mist. Um, if you're familiar with the Rand Brothers, mm-hmm. and um, and it's an old game, mm-hmm. and, and mist and Uru, but they've been around for a long time. But it's such an engaging story, and and. There's a lot of things with you know different worlds and stuff like that that I thought it would be really cool to be able to bring the characters into this. Obviously, you, with the addition of monsters, <laughs> which seems sort of like tacked on, but you sort of have to because of the way the you know Mist and Uru did not ever have that kind of confrontational sort of right. gameplay. It was all about levers, pulse right, levers, exactly. Well, you know, or or. or observe the environment and figure out what's going on which Ooh, i'm a big f- a, a page a page from a book neat that's a big moment to be strange discs <laughs> um i don't remember anything about discs <laughs> i made that up yeah okay <laughs> but anyway so they're currently on that and but at the same time all of this talk of, you know, with the new uh, edition that's coming out and things, I'm starting to think about doing some other things. And one of the things I hope to talk about here a little bit is uh, I want to rest- – I sort of started a sandboxy sort of campaign, but it kind of fizzled right before Christmas and didn't get a chance to play a lot because we had some players that were, like, sick a lot and stuff like that, and they couldn't – and it was a different set of players. Mm-hmm. And um, – and so I want to get that going again, um, but I want to do instead of this, you know, kind of guided, you know, I, I hate the word railroad because if the players came to me and said, you know, we really hate this, mm-hmm. I, I would I I derail the train and I'd do something different. Mm-hmm. But um, but it does kind of lead them. But I would like to really do something much more organic. I've been playing a lot of Skyrim recently, 
and it is sort of inspiring me as to ways that I can, you know, make something much more sandboxy than uh, than what it is now. And so that's one of the things that I hope I'll be getting from you guys is you know tips that might make that you know easier to do or, mm-hmm. or things that might encourage that and stuff like that. So. Um, as far as my style, like I said, I, I steal a lot of stuff, but at the same time, um, I love to, I love props <laughs> and I love mm-hmm. terrain. I wish I had more time to make were, terrain. Were you the one whose pictures I was looking at of the mist props? Yeah, that's me. Okay. Like you, yeah. like you're building like a, a replica of the whole I actually, island. I actually built a replica of mist. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It's crude, but it's, it's all the main components are there. So. <laughs> Um. Uh, yeah, it was quite a deal. Now the thing is, is that there's a big trade-off. Um, every time or every bit of time that I spent working on a prop or on a terrain piece is time that I lose actually developing story, which is probably one of the reasons that I steal a bunch of stuff <laughs> and use prepared material because I don't now have all that time to to do that stuff. I want to strike a better balance with that. Um, I still love terrain and i love fiddling with stuff um Mm -hmm. you know and i like to be able to you know when the characters find something like uh, a map or a uh, or a letter i like to be able to hand them that piece and say here it is you know it's in their hands and they do get a thrill out of that and they like that work um sometimes i've gone too far um, I don't know, you may have heard it on the DM Roundtable, but I actually did at one point, this is back with the earlier group, I actually made potions with vodka and food coloring. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, and uh, made them drink it if they were going to have potions. This is back in 3.5. <laughs> and, and they were all adults, so yeah, no one was, you know, it wasn't any kind of illegal thing going on there. Everyone was like, drink it. I don't want to drink it. Drink Every, the potion. You got to drink the potion. And no one was a teetotaler, so it was okay. You know, everyone was cool with the alcohol. But and it wasn't, little, it was like little test tubes worth. I mean, it was not even a shot. It was just mm-hmm. like a little tiny bit. But the looks on their faces were awesome. And it was great because, you know, it's like, oh, God, I'm going to take it. And so, you know, if you want the buff, better better drink it. The problem was is that it was kind of a faulty plan because um, while the vodka is more or less permanent as as it goes, they didn't survive bags and things like that very well. And so you would have leaky potions, and, <laughs> and it was kind of a, and with food coloring, of course, the stain got everywhere. So it it was one of those plans that was like great on paper, but just the execution was a little flawed. Sure. So, but it was pretty cool for a couple of sessions that it worked out. But, um, but those kinds of things are the. I like to try to change it up like that because there's some kind of. I may be a closet larper, but I don't think I'd ever have the guts to go and do it. So I do kinds. Of, I kind of do things at the table that sort of are interactive, so that it it, it that it just adds to the immersion. I think. Okay. And and I think that's and I and I like that. There's nothing more fun than being able to see my players actually caught up in the immersion of something going on and actually having an emotional response to that. Mm-hmm. I dig that bigger than anything else. If I can make a player weep, <laughs> it's awesome. Have you, have you done that? I have. Um, really? There was a train After the vodka? Or? No, no. <laughs> it, was in, it was in the same era, but um, yeah, I had a train scenario and it was a hostage situation, so a bunch of Gith Yankee with a red dragon. Mm. and attacked this train as it's going down and the players are like hired to protect the train of course you know um but the, the these get the yankee attack and the dragon and they and 
they're like terrorists. So it's like a diehard scenario. So the, the terrorists have hoarded all of the passengers into like this one car, right? And the, the red dragon is perched on the other car with its head pointed right at the door. Okay? Mm-hmm. And the Gith Yankee are hardcore. They're saying, look, you tell us where this thing is or, you know, people are going to die. And, of course, the players at that point, they had no clue that I was going to be serious. And so they play it tough. Mm-hmm. And they say, fine, do your worst. You know, that kind of thing. We'll survive. Sure enough. Right? And I had little Lego guys that were represented every single passenger on the train. So I had every passenger. And so I was ro- – and, and, of course, back then it was 3-5. So everybody had stats, and they were of various levels and stuff. But I had it all recorded. Wow. And so if and, – and they rolled saves. And the people that died, I would pull the Legos off, and I would start piling them up. Mm. And I'd say, yep, that guy's dead. That mother's dead. That guy's, <laughs> you know, I would just, and I'd let, and one at a time, too. I mean, I was like, <laughs> and um, and at, by the time I was done, there was like this little pile about two inches high of dead bodies. <laughs> and the guy playing the dwarf cleric actually got choked up. He goes, mm. guys, we've got to stop. Make him stop. <laughs> and it was, and he's a grown man, right? So, right. you know, he's in his he's in his thirties, and and he's like, whoa, whoa, this is just too much. And because um, I was like, just deadly serious, it was like, eh, he's dead, he's dead. And I kept looking at him because this, and the Gith Yankee, you're just saying it's going to happen again, you know. And wow. so, but yeah, when you get a response like that, it's just, I, I'm just like DM win. That's probably one of my yeah. favorite moments. Yeah. Yeah. Never, you know, it was just like, you know, and I reassured him afterwards, like, look, look, it's just a game, it's all cool. It's just reminds a, it's, me of, <laughs> reminds me of Fable 2. Do you ever play Fable 2? I've heard of the game, but I don't think I've ever played it. You have a scene later in the game where you have to make some, you know, like you, you steal into this place and pretend to be a bad guy, but they make you actually do bad guy things. Oh, and, it's really and you know, like you, you you have a choice you can do it or not but if you don't do it it's worse for you and if you do do it it's worse for the guy you're doing it to right and it really ends up not being a choice like you end up really having to do it to the guy and then later you go back and here's your dog waiting for you at the docks and I cried yeah <laughs> <laughs> didn't think much about having a dog well yeah exactly I mean it's that kind of moment and I think that a good DM doesn't force those kind of situations but if they happen organically they play them straight right. You know, and that you know, this is the consequence of you know of your actions, and um, and I've seen players taken down a, a peg or two as a result. Yeah, so, but um, but those are the kind of things that are that are going on in my campaign. And what mm-hmm. I like, what I'd really like though is you know, as I get this new campaign started, um, the, sand, gonna, the, the sandboxy one. Yeah, the sandboxy one, mm-hmm. which, like Mike was saying earlier, with his kind of sandboxy one, there's sort of like a general plot point, something like vague that's out there. Mm-hmm. Well, my vague one that's sort of hovering in the background the whole time is going to be based on that new Alcatraz thing that's coming out, that se- television series. Mm-hmm. So there was an, a prison way back, and there were there were bad guys, levels 1 to 30, go figure, you know, not, I mean, others as well, but basically 1 to 30 bad guys, which automatically gives me bosses, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, boom. And they've disappeared... And the prison has been abandoned for years, but now these bad guys are starting to show up again. Mm-hmm. Why? Who's behind it? Blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. That's the overarching, that's the big thing in the background. But in the meantime, there's all these other little things that can go on and happen. So mm-hmm. that's kind of what I'm looking at. Okay. Sounds cool. Uh, now, I'm curious. You're an older school player. I have played 
All the versions, yes. Okay, uh, and you said this this group specifically has been around for some time, although they took a hiatus for a while. So, is is it safe to say that this is a a, a more experienced uh, group of players then? Not as much anymore, because most of my older players have dropped out, and I've replaced them with other players. Okay, and in fact, most it's about it's split halfway. I've got two players in my game right now that have been with me since the beginning. Mm-hmm. And the rest, including my wife, are brand new since 2008. And a lot of them only have experience with 4E and okay. not 3.5 at all. Okay. So um, that's basically... Uh, so I have a mix. Yeah. Right on. And, and I, what's the sort of the demographic for your group, Mike? Are they experienced, less experienced, older grognards, or, or new, new with 4th edition, or a mix of everything? I don't think I've got anybody at the table who played anything older than 3.5. Um, except for, for Michelle, my wife. Mm-hmm. She's played every version, I think. Um, and that was awesome, because when we got married and I was going through her stuff, I found all the old 1st edition oh, books. And I'm like, oh, score. <laughs> so, that was great. Um, but I think most of my group, a lot of my group has only played 4E. Um, and then maybe half of them have played 3.5 at the tail end of 3.5. Okay. And I had house ruled it until it was basically 4E. So they, they really only they really only know that. Okay. Um, Randall, I have a couple of questions. Sure. Um, how often does your game run? Once a month, about four to six hours. Okay. And about how much time do you spend preparing for it? Um, it depends. If I split it with props, probably overall maybe 12 hours. Yeah. I've seen his props. So. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that too. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's kind of hard to judge with the props because I, I sort of try to plan in advance. And mm-hmm. so I will make stuff sometimes that I know won't go into use for like months. Mm-hmm. Um, just so I know that I have it. Um, yep. And then I've built lots of random props for things for like when I'm, even if it's not a special setup like the Mist Island, mm-hmm. you know, I will make things like altars or chairs or, or acquire stuff right. that yeah. is um, uh, useful uh, in the meantime. So that saves a little bit of prep time. Right. But um, but yeah, about, you know, maybe 8 to 12 hours. Now, without, without props, how long would you say you spend doing your prep time? Mm, probably about 8 hours. <laughs> okay. Yeah. What so, is your? Where, so, how do? You, where do you? Sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna say. So eight hours. That that's basically uh, designing encounters and and story. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Where do you find most of that time is spent in, in the eight hours in the actual session prep? Um. I mean, like, where do you? I know what's, what you're what's trying your to process. Say. I know what's this your, is a public your process in, in putting together an adventure. Um. Well, like I said, if it's if it's a module I'm running, it's a no brainer. Mm-hmm. Now it's a little more difficult um, because I have, in fact, I'm trying to break myself of using modules because I need to get better practice at designing encounters in the raw. And there are a lot of tools out there that help you do that, so that's not too much of an issue. But um, it, but it is more time consuming, and I use things like um, like Master Plan mm-hmm. and um, and other uh, and some other mind mapping tools to help me do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think if there's a I don't write a lot of... I used to write a lot of heavy fluff. Um, I don't do that anymore. I can come up with that kind of stuff more or less organically. And so my big concern first is 
and this probably comes from my old school roots, but I, I do a map first if there's one available, and then I write the crunch of the encounter, and then if there's time, I'll fill in, I'll fill in fluff or mm-hmm. things that I might expect dialogue will go or things like that, and that's sort of my my rough process. Mm-hmm. Hold on. Oh. And Mike, just to go back real quick, uh, you play weekly, is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you're weekly, uh, Randall. You're once a month, and I'm the in between with with twice a month. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we have a, a quite quite the range of uh, different kinds of types of games and what have you going on. Okay. Yeah. Any other questions for Randall? Um. Nope. Okay. Okay. Guess we'll get into it then as we get into it next month. Yep. Cool. All right. So my turn. Um, my campaign started about two weeks after fourth edition came out. Uh, we are currently 23rd level. Cool. Um, we play, like I mentioned, we play, we've, we play every other week or so. So usually twice, sometimes three times a month. Um, and we've been playing our one through 30 campaign. Um, I'm a big forgotten realms fan. So I knew when it, when this all was going on, I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, play in the Forgotten Realms, and I don't know that I like the new... Uh, my me- mentality at the time is I don't know if I like the new forgot- new version of the Forgotten Realms, but I'm going to give it a shot, right? I'm, I'm not going to judge it until I've actually used it. Um, and so I've, I've been playing a 4th edition Forgotten Realms game, and, and my original concept for the campaign was before I even saw the 4th edition rules, I sort of looked at it and sa- looked at some ideas and said, you know what? I bet I could do a D&D uh, zombie apocalypse story. <laughs> using Thay as a setting. Mm. Wow. Right? Okay. Uh, and so that was going to be sort of my campaign. Uh, and then the the, the fourth edition uh, Forgotten Realms book came out, and as I was reading the campaign guide, a second story like appeared to me. You know, mm-hmm. like like it was divinely revealed to me through the pages of the Forgotten Realms campaign guide. Uh, and so then I, I layered on this other story, which actually worked out good because. Um, my my big sort of dungeon crawl adventure of level one ended up what was because basically my concept, my original concept was heroic tier they're going to spend in Thay as slaves trying to get out right um, they they were going to be the, basically this this special team of of monster hunters or whatever that were doing little little jobs for for Thay that needed to be done and then they go back into slavery uh, and so that was going to you know and then the the climax of her at the end of heroic tier was going to be and you escaped you know you killed your master and you escaped and everything's all better well it turns out that despite all of the fail safes i put in place I, I i made the mistake of trying to add some quote realism to my fantasy world in the first dungeon in that i knew the big bad guy bad guys were going to be cruthix which are tunnelers right mm-hmm. and they're from the underdark and they weren't exactly in the underdark so I kind of just said, well, you see some collapsed tunnels. You know, the idea being the Kruthik's burrowed in, and then the tunnels collapsed, and, and they're still there. Right? Well, okay. once, once they finished the dungeon, they said, okay, we've, we've cleared this out. Now the, there's only one way out, and it involves going back into slavery. Wait a minute, there's collapsed tunnels. And so they spent literally two days <laughs> of game time... <laughs> In that dungeon, digging out the tunnels with their warforged who didn't have to sleep, just constantly working while they all rested. <laughs> until and, and it's like, Great. really? I mean, you've you've got these magical bracers on so they can tra- track you wherever you go. 
you you know and i sort of laid some some groundwork that you know within this dungeon you found an area where they couldn't find you right but but as soon as you leave it's going to turn back on and you're going to be in trouble um you know you're tunneling into the underdark your first level which is like a death sentence and they decided to do that, you know. So, so then, so that, so then, suddenly, level two and three ended up being the okay. I guess you're leaving Thay now, you know. And how do I how do I justify doing that? And, and them constantly trying to hunt you down and, and and capture you and get you back and all that kind of stuff because this guy's going to be really embarrassed if Zaz Tam finds out that his his first group of monster hunters, um, you know, escaped on their first mission. But they did escape, and so then that which actually worked out okay because um, I was able to introduce this other story arc um, earlier on and just sort of interweave it throughout with the the zombie apocalypse story. And so uh, the other storyline was that you know as I read through the Forgotten Realms campaign guide, I kept seeing hints and elements that Mistra and, and old weave magic was still there. Like there, you know, there's all these little locations that they point out where these really strange magical things are going on, and there's blue fire. Right, which was always sort of the the Mistra clue right. was was this blue fire thing, and so I decided. Well, all of those things are are remnants of old weave magic that still exist, uh, and if and so sort of the larger campaign arc has become, hey, we can bring back Mistra, right? We can bring back the goddess of magic, and if we do so, people like Zaz Tam won't be able to pull the kind of BS that they're trying to pull, hmm. because okay. the, because there'll be a goddess of magic that that can be a check on them, right? Okay. And so that's sort of been, um, in a nutshell, the campaign is, is them dealing with Zaztam, who's who's waging this war and destroying his own. Like at one point, they they went back into Thay um, to kill off their leader and try to get those bracers off, uh, their old master, and get the bracers off. Uh, and in doing so, they they saw they were witness to the fact that that Zaztam has basically been slaughtering his own population mm-hmm. in, in order to raise them as undead for his army, hmm. uh, because he's created wow. he's he's through through connections with with Orcus and some other things that I've got working on in the works that they haven't quite figured out yet um, he has figured out basically the the concept of, of infectious zombies right d d doesn't do infectious zombies but Zaztam does right so when, right. when you're killed you know when you're killed in a fight with a zombie you then come back as a zombie so his army's constantly growing so he, so that's more valuable to him, to him than his own citizens um, and so uh, they've been dealing with that, and then and Zaztam constantly expanding his territory into Aglarond, which is where they were based. And then he also went other places, but they didn't seem to care. <laughs> you know, I tried to get, the, I I tried to say, oh yeah, he's also invading the other lands. I'm like, yeah, but that's not us, so we don't care. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, if anything, I can tell you that that my group of players, uh, or at least my my group of of characters, um, lacks a strong moral compass. <laughs> that's a great way to put it that's awesome yeah. they're the heroes of the story but they're not always the good guy <laughs> um, I love it so and then at the same time they've also been dealing with this other story arc of collecting remnants of the weave all over the place because if they could, they believe if they can collect enough of it and then use a derivative of the old original um, if, if you go into Forgotten Realms lore um, the first god of magic was killed by an arc wizard named um, Karsis who, right. who tried to take in all of this divine magical energy to himself and in the process killed Mistral the, the original god of magic right uh, well they believe that if they can gather up all this weave magic and then modify the original spell that Karsis cast, they can use it to gather all that all this divine magical energy back together and, and bring back Mistra. 
Uh, and so they're piecing all these things together. And, you know, in the meantime, there there was a sort of a, a subplot dur- through uh, a sub arc through um, Paragon Tier where they were gathering up pieces and trying to restore an old airship that they found in in late heroic, and mm-hmm. so that it could fly again because it was just a boat. You know, but it had all these strange things on it going on, and they figured out it was an airship, and so they figured out how to restore it to flight, which is a big deal in the Forgotten Realms in, in fourth edition version anyway, because there are only five existing airships on on in the world, and now they yeah. ha- now they have a sixth, which is a, is a big deal, and they had to deal with the consequent you know, the issues of dealing with that um, taxes. Well, more, more, more so that the organization that controls the other five saying, uh, uh, wait a minute. Monopoly. <laughs> we we just a, broke our monopoly. Yeah, right. Uh, well, and, they, and the thing is that they couldn't actually repair the airship without those guys' help. Because uh-huh. who in the world knows how to, uh-huh. how to, how to fix an airship? Yeah, other airship people. <laughs> just yeah. them, you know? So they had to find a way to get their help and, and be okay with those people and, and all that. So now they have their airship and uh, they're into the epic tier and they're – um, they're de- doing what they're you know they've been gathering up their bits of mystery and Zaztam meanwhile has basically weaponized spell plague and covered his own his own uh, world uh, his own uh, realm with it his own country with it and it's just sort of growing and growing and growing um, the gods have now started to freak out because Zaztam looks like he's going to be successful in what he's doing and so they're sending avatars basically to the world to to try to stop uh, Zaztam or in some cases use the situation to their own advantage, which, you know, mm-hmm. gods are likely to do. Yeah. Um, uh, so that's sort of the big threat right now is Zaztam is actually in the process of performing his ritual to become an over-god, to become mm-hmm. more powerful than all the other gods because he doesn't have to follow those all those rules and what have you. Uh, and they're trying to stop it and trying to do so by bringing Mr. back at, at the same time. Um, the most recent adventure we had before we took, because we're in the middle of a, of a brief hiatus that we should be coming back from soon. So it's timely that we're getting the, the show started now. Um, the most recent adventure was there, there's, there was basically an old temple of Mistra that was described in, in the campaign guide, uh, as sort of being this ghostly temple, ghostly blue fire temple. And nobody really knew what, what was going on there. And, you know, the order of blue fire was really interested in it and they kept, they, they keep checking out whatever and the Order of Blue Fire is sort of a Paragon tier villain that they dealt with a lot. Um, and so that was familiar to them. And they got in there and they and, and basically there was this floating temple and it kept exploding. And, you know, it, it, it went through this constant time loop of exploding over and over again. Uh, and as they got into it, they realized what had happened was during the spell plague, an avatar of Mistra and an avatar of Ogma, another god, mm-hmm. were actually in that temple meeting. And then the spell plague happened, and Mistra exploded, mm-hmm. and then got caught up into this time loop. So she's constantly exploding, but it's not mm-hmm. actually—it's not actually Mistra. It's just an avatar of Mistra. It's just a fragment of, of her overall being, right? right? Right. And so they they got in there, and, and they discovered that there was actually a Sharn there, which are the secret masters of the Order of Blue Fire, um, that was sort of trying to siphon off all this remaining divine energy and, and for himself. And, and so they defeated the Sharn. They ended up having to do so. They ended up having to kill Mistra, the the avatar. Which was a nice twist, right? They're trying to bring back Mistra, so in order to do that, one of the things they have to do is kill Mistra. Hmm. Um, and so they kill her, but when they do so, um, the reason that the, the temple was ghostly, I should say, was because it got stuck in between um, Toral and Abir, right? When this, mm-hmm. One of the, okay. the, story, the story elements of the, the spell plague in the fourth edition of Forgotten Realms is that there's these two old worlds and they were brought back together, uh, Toral and Abir, and parts, okay. of them, parts of them sort of crossed into each other, but other parts just disappeared from Toral, and supposedly they're back on a beer. And so, yeah, so my story was this temple was sort of stuck in between. That's why it was kind of ghostly. So when 
when they finally killed Mistra and stopped this time loop, then they ended up stuck on the wrong side. So now they're in Abir instead of in Toral. Hmm. And so the, where I'm where I am coming back in, into the campaign is okay. You're on the wrong, you're in the wrong place, and the gods themselves cannot cross over. How do you get back, and how do you do so in time to stop Zastam? Hmm. So the, the timelines in both worlds are parallel. Um, Same amount of time is taking place in both places. I haven't decided yet because I actually thought it might be interesting to, to jump it forward uh, uh, a little bit. You know, to say, well, yeah. sh- sure, you spent a month or two there, but then you came back and it's been a couple of years. Yeah, and, and now things it's a lot are of fun to do that. And, and now things are really desperate, and you're under a time crunch to, to fix yeah. this thing fast. Yeah, yeah. My group jumped into the far realm, and when they came back, they had to roll one d six to see how many years they were gone. Wow. But yeah, so that's my campaign. Um, myself as a DM, I tend to be very story focused. Although I do a lot of um, m- most of my prep is uh, encounter and monster design. I-, I run almost no monsters straight out of the book. I o- always tweak or change something. I don't know. It- maybe it's a compulsion of mine. Yeah, I was gonna say why 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 do you do that? Um, I, mean, I did. Oh, I don't know. At twenty four, I totally know why you do that. Did well, you do right, that before? I did that through most of Paragon, uh, and it basically came down to I didn't do that for a long time, and then I did an episode of the Tome Show with uh, Wolfgang Bauer, and we used the monster builder to, to to do some things, and I realized, wow, I really like building monsters, and so now I just do it a lot, mm-hmm. mostly because I like to do it. Yeah. I'd rather just run them out of the book. Sure. <laughs> I'm much easier. It's like because the monsters are not exactly a they're not a means to an end for me. They're just they're plot elements like any other plot element. Mm-hmm. So you know if the, I don't have a lot of, I mean the, the players are going to destroy them probably most likely anyway if they don't do anything stupid. Mm-hmm. And so I don't have a lot of investment in them. And so it doesn't you know I'd rather sure. just disposable and it's less prep time. So <laughs> I guess there's that too. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean it's it's something I do because I enjoy doing it. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So, um, but other than that, my, my players, um, I have a group of, what do we got? Five or six players and, you know, a few, usually we have one or two that can't make it to any given session. Um, and so I have some that are, that were long time third edition players that are relatively new into fourth edition just in the last year or two. Um, we, we sort of brought them in with this group. I have one player who had never played D and D before, uh, our our game first game was his first game of D anD D ever. He was a magic player before that. Mm. Um, I have another one who had played a little bit of third edition, who was also a ma- previous magic player, and I have one who played second edition. Maybe first edition was his last g- game, and then he took a break from it, and then came back with fourth edition. Mm. Um, and so we a pretty good mix of experience uh, and different types of experience, which is interesting. You know, the magic players tend to take a, a, a different approach to. Especially early on, they were very much focused on the the power gaming side, right? Which you might expect from a magic player. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and I have I have my you know the guy who had never played before got so into it. He's he's you know at encounters and and LFR and he's doing all of that like three days a week as much as he can get in. He's playing D and D and he's been doing it for years now. He's he's now my my rules lawyer. Whenever I have a rules question, I just ask, or whenever anybody has a rules question, I just tell him to ask Greg because <laughs> <laughs> he knows you know he's. He knows the rules better than I do at this point. So yep. it's always good to have a rules rules lawyer at the table. That's not the DM, right? I got one of those guys. He's more of a numbers. He's numbers guy. He's one of these guys that can do like fairly complex arithmetic in his head. And so I'll say, because I I'm terrible at numbers. I hate them. Mm-hmm. And so I'll simple concepts, fine, no problem. But if you ask me to do mathematics, I'm like, no. <laughs> it's like yeah. sixteen plus forty two is what I. 
what? <laughs> you know, and so, but he goes like, boom, you know, just now get the answer. The, you know. the downside for me to that is that every now and then I want to speak from a position of authority on how I'm going to adjudicate these rules. And, yeah. and and the precedent is that no, he does that. And the way they do things at LFR or encounters is not necessarily the way I want to do things. Right. So Yep. Yep. No, we do, we do the same thing. It works really well. Have a you know, as long as you have somebody who's truly objective and understands that the, the game is about fun. Right, right. I mean, and I don't have anybody in my game that, that really goes against that, but I've got a couple people who are, you know, they have and I actually have two roles lawyers and both of them are, are really good at it. So I'll throw it to both of them and they kinda of look at each other and say, Yeah, that's that's wrong. Or, right. Yeah. Should go that way, and I, I've got a good mix of ages too. Because I mean, I've got a couple of guys that are uh, older than me. Um, you know, the guy who came in with first edition stuff, of course, has been pl- been around for a long time. Um, and then I've got a couple of uh, you know, three of my players are uh, you know college kids. So, mm-hmm. okay, here's a here's a quick question: what's what's the gender mix in your, uh, in your uh, groups? We are all male. Okay. Mm. My, and and th- this group started, like I said, it started with fourth edition. Like two weeks after fourth edition started, this group started. Although only three or three of those players are still in the same group, right? Um, but um, we none of none of us even knew each other ahead of time. Like I moved into town, into Raleigh, North Carolina, and two weeks later started a, a group uh, mm. or started a game. And so we all meet, met through met, meetup. Um, mm-hmm. About two or three weeks before I moved into town, I, I started looking for a group, and so we, you know, before I moved into town, I already had a gaming group. That's awesome. And, and then two That's weeks, cool. and two weeks later, we had our first game. And so, and yeah, you've been so, playing for how long? And we've been playing now for four, I've four years, a little more. Wow, that's great. Yeah, nice. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I have uh, two female, five male, um, and the you know, of those, that's that's that is including me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then usually there's one or two people that can't show up from week to week. I've got my main group has one, just one female, and that's my wife. And then I, the sandboxy group will probably have two, mm-hmm. um, uh, two women in it that I, and I'm hoping three, but I don't know for sure. So yeah, I played my the group I play in actually has more females than males in it. It had three females and two males. Yeah. Yeah. My last group was was Not uh, the DM. my previous group when I was living in Omaha was actually uh, and we were doing third edition was was pretty evenly split we were fifty fifty yeah <laughs> Jeff I have a couple questions for you so um you you play by uh, twice monthly is that what you said yeah generally it's every other week and how about how much time do you spend on prep oh uh, for any given session I spend maybe three four hours. And where does your where do you spend your time? Uh, it sounds like you, you said you design everything from yeah. scratch. It's mostly encounter and monster design. That's funny because you, your story is so rich. Well, yeah, right. I, well, you know, there's so but, much depth in your story that the idea that you're spending most of your time on encounter stuff is kind of surprising. But see, that's the thing is that um, you know, and, and I guess I don't really think much about my story design because. I'm always doing the story design, you know? And, yeah, right. And, and, you know, I knew how this campaign would end before the campaign started. Mm. You know, I, I, I had this scene in my head of this is the last thing I'm going to describe in the campaign and then it's over. You really? know? And, and, and that scene actually changed, changed just a little bit, but it's still, it's still going strong and we're headed in that direction. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. So, yeah, I mean, I don't do a lot of prep you, on the story stuff the, because I ever, have the story stuff, you know? It's does that ever limit you? Do you ever feel like that you have to kind of steer things back? To make sure that that ending is going to be the same, um, I have no. I haven't had to do that. Um, they've 
they've it's, more or less made my cause their cause. So, right. so they're totally on board with what I'm trying to do. Right. That's cool. I've only cool. been I've only been accused of railroading once. <laughs> I get accused of it all the time. Right. Um, Randall mentioned that his group tends to be pretty uh, hands off between sessions. That they basically come to the table to play, mm-hmm. and and they're generally inactive. Is is that true with your group as well? Is it a mix? How does how how involved are they in this in the story and mm-hmm. in the game outside of the game? So, I mean, so they're all pretty well invested into the story at the game table, right? I mean, th- th- especially we've been playing this long, right? And and I've made it a point to try to incorporate all of them into the story. Um, and so they all feel like they're part of it, or at least as much as I could do it in some cases. Right. Um, and that might be something we deal with later. Um, but in terms of out of the game, uh, we have a, an Epic Words uh, account that we use, uh, which is sort of like Obsidian Portal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, I probably get it, half of them that will check it on a regular basis and, and discuss things in the forums and ask questions and whatever. Um, and then the other half that will check it on the day of the next game and say, oh, hey, we should be this level. And then they show up and say, hey, can we print off our character sheets? You know, that, so. <laughs> yep. Yeah, see, I actually let my Obsidian Portal account lapse because my players weren't participating. Yep. And it was like, you know, I, can, I might as well just do everything at home where I can, you know, keep it on my own laptop and not have to worry about porting it anywhere because yeah, no one else yeah. is bothering to read it or participate yeah. in it. Right. So that's, that's not a lot of things, Rand, a lot of things that you mentioned from what I understand are not uncommon. Right. I mean, yeah. that's, that's you know, particularly the, I know um, when Dave Chalker was talking uh, to the guy that runs Obsidian Portal. What's Mike, his name? Micah? Yeah. Yeah. And Micah. he did an interview with him and Micah said, yeah, don't, you know, don't assume whatever you're going to build there is for anybody other than you. <laughs> yeah. just, as much as you want them to be involved, they're generally right. not going to be. And it's, he sees right. them. He sees the metrics on it. Yeah, so. Well, and, yeah. And it's interesting because uh, Obsidian Portal and Epic Words do very similar things, but they both started in in different directions, right? One of them started as well, uh, Obsidian Portal started off as as wiki building, right? Right. And then Epic Words started off as blogs, as they wanted to create, to give an, uh, character, uh, players a chance to, a place to do campaign journals as, in, right. the, in the form of blogs. And then they both sort of evolved into the same thing. Um, the, the killer feature that brings people to the Epic Words page is that it has a calendar, and that's where we schedule all of our games. So if you don't go to the site at least once, you don't know when or where we're playing next. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and then you and then you have to RSVP and let us know if you're coming, or hopefully you RSVP and let us know if you're coming. So, right. So then at least they're on the site and they might check some of the other stuff. Yeah. So, so Jeff, I have a question about your campaign specifically. Mm-hmm. While your players don't care so much about what happens to the neighboring territories, because I I am somewhat familiar with the Forgotten Realms, mm-hmm. and uh, how do you handle it in game, or how do you let the players know the impact that their perhaps inaction or unconcern is having on the other peoples and things like uh, you said it was bleeding over into what'd you call that uh start with an a aglarond aglarond that's where the, the witches are at right witches of aglarond uh which is which is of rashomen oh that's rash yeah Ra- Rash right, okay. rashomen is to the north Oh, it's to the north. Okay, and and, and they've also been been invaded, <laughs> so. right? And while they can be kind of isolationist and stuff, and mm-hmm. maybe you know not have to worry about it so much, obviously other other people will. And I just wonder how you do you communicate that, or is it is it just like you know sort of this is happening, and 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 they just say okay, whatever. But I, I've sort of I've allowed 
the natural consequences of their actions or lack thereof to sort of follow through. Yeah. You know? So if they chose okay. not to do anything about the the invasion into Rashomon, then Rashomon just gets overwhelmed. Boom, and and it's you know they come back a few months later and it's done. And Zaztam is able to to further his agenda. Now it's not the end of the world. You know, there's he, it's he's it's still a big thing he's trying to do, and there's still a chance to stop him. Um, right. so, so all that's still going on, but Rashomon will, will not be your ally in that final fight. You know, <laughs> because they're they're down. They've already been conquered. It sounds like almost a, it's a big macro version of sort of like what I did with the uh, with the Lego guys. I mean, it's sort of you know, boom, he's gone, he's gone. That's- a, a, a little bit, except, <laughs> except I don't know that they always. Maybe I could be more clear with them because I don't know that they always make those connections. You know? Oh, I see. Okay. Uh, one of the things that at one point there were actually when they were back in Thay, there were two um, enslaved monster hunting groups. Right, and one of them was a group of NPCs, and one of them was the PCs. And okay. and at, it, the con- original concept was this was going to be your competition, but in the end, you're all going to become one big band of, of brothers together, and then there'll be a natural set of a, a pool for when P- characters died to replace them, and and all, and then I could incorporate all these other story elements with these characters. And and I found that uh, the players didn't care at all about them, you know, at to the point that you know. They didn't know half of their names. You know? Yeah, and so I tried to incorporate the story. You know, at one point I had one of them actually pregnant by the other one, and 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 lose the baby. You know, and get killed, and you know, try to bring in some real emotional, heavy stuff. And and they're like, oh wow. You know, a few of them were like, wow, that's a big deal. And then once a session or two later, they'd completely forgotten those characters were there again. Uh, uh, and so yeah. at one point I actually tried to make it a point. Well, you've you've neglected these this, these characters and the rest of your crew, right? Because they have a ship. You've neg- neglected all these NPCs in your crew for so long that by the time you get back. Uh, to your ship after being gone for several months because you've been off adventuring, the sh- the ship has been has been hijacked and uh, and your crew is being held hostage by the yeah. order, order of Blue Fire and I killed off a bunch of PCs of characters who weren't there that night, yeah. you know, <laughs> and, and and I just, I still don't know that they that they quote got it right because right because they're like well that's not fair you send us on those adventures over there and doing all these things like. Yes, but the point is there are consequences to your actions, you know? Yeah. Whether the greater good is being served or not, there are consequences to your actions. Hmm. So it's interesting. Okay. You know, the, the 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 classic story that that sort of describes their their mentality, at least there was one character who was with us for a long time and he was the moral compass and he was the leader by default of the group, so it actually worked out okay. And then that player left town. Um, and so since then they, they've they you know we they have a leader again but they don't have but he doesn't have much of a moral compass and so you know they, they teleported into this t- teleportation circle that they got uh, the 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 you know runes for right they got the coordinates to, to be able to teleport into the circle um, and found that it was being used by a cult and they were actually using it at that time to try to summon a demon right yeah. so so they yeah. te- they teleport in and boom instant encounter except they just teleported and said hey. We're just here from the larger order. Go about your business and walked out. <laughs> it's like, and I tried to make it clear. They're summoning a demon that will almost certainly do horrible things in the city. Yeah, we don't like the people of the city. Yeah, what the hell? yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh it's my like, god, carry on. <laughs> Nothing you know, to see here <laughs> because because you know their greater good was being served, and they didn't. You know, there was just an encounter they didn't need to have. Mm. So they talked their nice. way out of it and walked off. <laughs> And of course, you spent time planning all the encounters that were going to take place with the cult. Well, it was just that one encounter, and, and it was yeah. going to be a slod, not really a demon, but you know, still. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. And, and I, I guess I, I laid the guilt trip on them enough that they they informed the authorities of what was going on on their way out of town. 
oh, well, that was nice. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Even though you were right there in the middle of them and could have gotten the jump on it before the, the demon was ever summoned. Now it's too late. <laughs> That's hysterical, though. <laughs> part of, well, yeah, I know how that can go sometimes. Yeah, so that, that's, yeah. the, that's the moral compass of my group is we've got more important stuff going on. You deal, you deal with your own mess. <laughs> this is below us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, a, it's a hard thing to balance at Epic here. You know, that in Epic here, you really do have to say there are things that are... Oh, but this was an epic. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is, well, there was no, like, I'm, a, I'm a hero. Leader. This was, I think, maybe low Paragon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But that's sort of been the classic story of oh this is this is the this is the uh, the alignment of the party. Hmm. Wow, so. sounds cool. All right, well that's my my campaign. If nobody else has any, uh, or my game. If nobody else has any questions, nope. No. All right, then I guess it's time to go. And uh, so we'll be back every month, once a month, to talk through each of our games and talk about what we're doing for our prep and what we can help each other out with in terms of stories and design and dealing with our players and what have you um so we'll be ready for that and uh i want to thank my co-hosts mike and randall for joining us thank you happy to be here good to be here yep and of course uh i also want to thank our sponsor for the episode gamerati uh head over to gamerati.com and and check out what they've got going on so all right say goodbye everybody goodbye everybody